0: Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. My guest today has almost 40 years' experience in property development. He has created over 6,500 new residential units and over 2.5 million square foot of commercial space. After a degree in estate management, he went on to work in construction management, working his way up to become the head of land at the biggest house builder in the UK, Barrett Homes, and while simultaneously running his own award-winning private development company. In addition to all of that, he's the director of a prop tech software company and a guest university lecturer on property development so it gives me great pleasure to welcome Paul Hicks. Hello. How are you? I'm good, mate. You? Now, did I get all that right? Uh, not really.
0: <laughs> Go on, then. Do you want to... So, wanna... Yeah, so, um, so I actually started in construction, uh, Studied construction management, when um, I, I, I left school, didn't like doing what I was told, so no qualifications. Not surprisingly, ended up cleaning the bogs and digging holes on the building site. But I was always a grafter and um, must have had a, a reasonably good brain. But didn't know what I wanted to do. Anyway, pretty, you know. After a couple of weeks on the on the building site, one day the developers turned up in you know flash suits, flash cars, and the rest of it. So that's when I decided, right, that's the thing. I want to be. I'm going to be a property developer. Yeah? And we're, and we're, I don't want to give away your rage yet. But what sort of time frame was that? Would have for you? been. Let me let, let, let me work it out. So 1983. So so yeah. So 1983, working on the building site, decided I wanted to be a property developer. Yeah. Uh, and, and at the time So I just assumed Well look, I'm working on the building site These guys are turning up Having a look around Property development obviously All about building stuff isn't it That's what that's what I assumed So as I say I was a grafter I obviously had a reasonable brain And basically I wangled my, myself a job um, Helping the site engineer The Blake obviously that did the setting out So I was really keen Always asking questions And stuff like that And, 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 and after a couple of months I basically said Look do you, do you want to go to college part time So I said obviously yeah of course Sorry, and cut a long story short. So I I actually studied construction management first um, and then became a site engineer and then a trainee site manager and then a site manager. So I was basically a site manager in construction by the time I was 21. Um, Only on sort of smaller sites. So I I was actually...
1: And this was in London? Yeah, this was all
0: in London. yeah, yeah. And, um, but I was doing all of this because I wanted to be a property developer, yeah? So I thought, like, well, this is what what I yeah. had to know, what I had to do in order to be a property developer. And uh, and then I think I, me and the mate of mine, we bought, bought a house when we were 17, just a bit of an old wreck, yeah. did it up at e- evenings and weekends, um, for about two years. <laughs> um, eventually sold it, made a few quid, did another one, did another one, got a, a bit more adventurous, bought a house, split it into flats. So, so from sort of 17 to, to 21, we were sort of doing small, s- s- I probably wouldn't even really call it development anymore, yeah, but do you know what I mean, small refurb yeah. development deals, yeah. And as time went on, and this is the other interesting thing, right? So, ev- everything we were buying, it was either in Yorkshire, auction, and, and 35 years ago, Yorkshire auction was completely different yeah. world to what it is now. <laughs> do you know what I mean? There, you, there were a lot of deals it was all a bit underground not that many smoky rooms well for, even when for, I started yeah.
1: I bought in auctions but I don't I mean I haven't said that I bought one recently but I, it's, it's very very different yeah know? so it, I, I haven't
0: actually bought anything in an auction for well probably 30 years to be honest yeah. so anyway so um, so at the time we were we were buying things either straight off you know from agents or, or in the auction so basically everything was really on the market albeit the auction stuff was a little bit under the radar you know but as time went on... I Because um, we were doing... Everything was sort of in our little patch where we grew, I grew up in a place called Hayes in West London. And every now and then, you know, be a little house pop-up or yeah. someone else would be in a, doing a deal. And it's, it hadn't been near an agent. It hadn't been in the auction. So it's not did we miss that? And and then I started becoming aware of the concept of off-market deals where you effectively just spot stuff with potential and approach owners direct or or have some sort of other in. And also... I started becoming aware of planning, really, mm. really. So, uh, and, the, and the importance of that. Also, actually, I stumbled on a book about about option agreements, uh, which was a like, massive eye opener at the time. So, so, all of a sudden, I thought, like, I can do, de- you know, control land or buildings and do deals with a quid, yeah. where, you know, without actually having the money. So, that, that was a massive, massive eye opener. I then spent a fair few years trying to do you know land planning and auction deals yeah Wh- whilst doing the slightly bigger refurbs as I progressed yep. yeah so I'm, do- I'm trying to do land planning and auction deals 95% of them didn't come off yeah because I didn't really know what I was doing yep. it was all literally trial and error like, I mean there was there was no training or anything in those days but the, the only thing you could do is read sort of quite dense you know planning yeah. law books technical legal books and stuff like that which, like, I, which yeah. I did because I loved it because yep. I was into it yeah Anyway, eventually, I, I I came to the the conclusion is, is if I'm ever going to get as good at this as I, as I want to get, I'm actually going to have to go and get properly educated. Which yeah. is probably going to mean getting a job with a big developer to really get the get the experience that that, that, I, that I need. So I had sort of long think about that kinda a while. What you know, what what is the job to get? And I'd already I think realised. Or come to realise that development really is all about land, mm. i.e., finding the building, found, finding the opportunity, you know, negotiating it, tying it up, and then of course getting planning if that's your thing. Yeah. So, so I realised that literally the the key really job is would be as a land buyer. Yeah. So I then I then thought, well, okay, you know, what do I need to go and study in order, to, you know, to well, one thing. Remember, you know, I studied construction management, yeah. but other than that, I didn't really have any any yeah. sort of like development qualifications or anything like that. So I thought, okay. So what, what what do I need to study in order to get a job as a as, as a as a land buyer? And I come to the conclusion that it was either planning or estate management. Now I know you are obviously. are, just before we started, you asked a question about estate management, and a lot of people. Get confused about that? What that is, and, yeah. I, and I did actually. When some people, some people said to me like, "Oh no, you need to do estate management," I was thinking, "Fucking estate management!" And I, I, I managed "Well, like, what's that? Like forestry or something, <laughs> or, or 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 you know, looking after big estates and manage, manage managing stuff, yeah? yeah." And but it's not that at all. It's in uh, other universities. So I went to South Bank in London. Other universities uh, they call it various things. A lot of places they call it land economics. It's basically yeah. property, really. Yeah. So whereas if I'd done planning. It would have been just planning, pretty narrow. But but estate management is sort of like general, wide commercial yeah. property, and I and I chose all of the sort of subjects and things that were the planning add-ons yeah. as well. And the whole training was really good the whole that whole degree was really geared up towards you becoming everyone else they were they all like chartered surveyors, yeah? yeah? So um, so it was Rick's, um accredited and all it. So anyway, so uh, I so I did I did that. So that was like five years part time. Yeah. Um, whilst still doing slightly bigger development deals as 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 I built up. So this um, is still late eighties now? Yeah, no, no. So so this would have been so I think when was it? So it was actually early nineties yeah, okay. by by, yeah. by the time I went I went to university. So that was it was sort of like probably nineteen ninety one. So yeah. that when there was actually a little bit of a, a crash yeah, yeah, going yeah, on exactly, then. Yeah. So I'm still doing some small deals. I was going to university, standing um, studying probably basically uh, and, that, and that was it and, and, and you know gradually doing slightly bigger deals as, yeah. as I learned and, that's, and and more and more of the land deals the planning deals and the option deals started coming off and
1: was it all based London based Because yeah so it, was all, it was
0: all London like yeah. land,
1: land's, land's hard to find in London mm. or was it or were you doing more conversions or well well, it, or were you buying buildings and put, Pulling them down and then no, not not, not 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 at that stage. So, so
0: I basically did my first new build. I built built a single house in 1988. Yeah, yeah, that was the first first sort of proper yep. thing I out built. I built really, um, and then a few more a few more after that. You know, gradually it just got bigger 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 slowly really. So yes, all pretty much always been London. In more recent years, it sort of spread out and yep. become home counties as well. But to, but to start with, it, it was all London. So I, 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 was studying. I was still on 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 site. I, work, I was a, by then I was a manager of a groundwork company um, as well. That was sort of like my day job. And then yep. I'm sort of you know refurb's and building stuff separately to that. And um, again, all of this is like excellent experience. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm excellent. Obviously, eventually um, finished me estate management degree. Right to all the house builders asking for jobs as a land, bar, still as, to as as land, land buyer still wouldn't yeah. as a land absolutely as a land buyer I'd sussed it was all about yeah, land yeah. yeah luckily enough um, I really wanted to work for Lang Homes because they were yeah. renowned with, to have like the best training in the industry yeah so luckily enough I got a job with with, with Langs as a, a, as a as a land buyer like my so my land director right, a bloke called Rob Munro anyone I mean he's he's well he's sort of you know. Doing his own thing now, obviously, and sort of get, getting towards retirement. But yeah. if you were in the sort of the proper PLC land yeah, buying yeah. industry, you'd, you'd know it, right? Yeah. I'm a, like brilliant land buyer. Learned s- so much from him. I became a really good land buyer. Got promoted massively quick because this is the thing, right? But so by that time, what was it? So I, th- I think when was I? It's I was, I was, I was, was probably mid late twenties. By the time I actually got, I, I was I, yeah you know, when I when I was becoming a um, a, a land buyer. So, you know, I was super keen. I was super driven. You know, I ended up getting re- really, really good at it. So I got promoted really, really fast. Because at the end of the day, if you think about, you know, house, land buyers are basically the most important people yeah. in a house building company. If you're not buying land, you're not doing the right deals, then, like, every, you know, every, everyone's unemployed, yeah? So I got promoted really quick a number of times. I was, I was with Langs for about uh, five years. Eventually got headhunted by Barrett's because I was literally buying everything in their patch and I was with them for about five years or so I eventually um, ended up as head, head of land at Barrett's but the interesting thing was I'd done all of that I only, I only wanted a job in land to start with to get the, the learning the and, the, and the experience yeah. and I ended up obviously working for PLC developers for ten years which because um, you know, every time I went to leave they offered me more money and promotions and all the rest of it and it got to the, in, in the end uh, it was like look you cut. There's nothing more you can offer me. I'm just going to go. I've got to go and do my own thing. Yeah, which I did. So that that was in um, I think 2002, 2003. Yeah, I set up Millbank, and um, you know I, I basically that's been doing that ever. You know land planning and development deals ever since.
1: You mentioned there you're head of land for Barrett Homes, but just to put that into context, Barrett Homes are the biggest house builder in the country, and you were the head of. Arguably the most important part of it, so it's a pretty amazing achievement. For yeah, like I mean that, like that wasn't that for the whole well. country; that was
0: only for London. But yeah. having said that, London Lo- was, yeah. it was the biggest, yeah. most Especially valuable patch, time. and also the most difficult patch. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, it's, you know, it's not easy to buy land
1: well, anywhere,
0: <laughs> but you know, London is probably where there's you know most most demand and most competition. You know,
1: obviously, you, you said at one point at that point you wanted to go and do your own thing. How Helpful was that experience from a PLC to go into your own sort of private company because obviously they're di- they're different beasts, but I'm guessing there's a lot of transferable skills. It, it, it was and... Massive,
0: massive, massive. Because if you if you think about it, right? So my job was to buy land for Barrett's, right? Biggest yeah. developer in the country, so that's basically a gigantic building machine. Yeah. That, that's what PLC developers are, right? You've got to feed them with land, yeah. and houses and flats eventually come out the other end, yeah. right? There's a whole lot of complicated stuff that's got to go on in the middle, but that but that's that's the crux of it, yeah? And, and it's the same for all, all, all house builders. So, you know, if you're, you know, Crest, Wimpy, Lang, Barclay, okay, Countryside, yeah. everyone, right? So you're literally playing at the top of the premiership, yeah? So and you're all bidding on the same science, because this is the thing. So For me personally, my focus, you know, before I worked for PLCs and then after has always been only on off-market sites where you don't get involved in a whole load of stupid competition, right? But of course, when you're working for a massive building machine, you you can't afford to just focus on off-market sites. You have literally got to buy anything and everything you can on the market, off the market and the rest of it, yeah? You feed the machine, haven't you? And it's the same for all of those other guys. So so let's just say a you know a potential four hundred unit hospital site comes to the market and it'll end up in the Estates Gazette, so it's properly smack bang on the market. There will literally be 20-30 developers Bidding for it, right? Yeah. And they're all Premiership. They're all the best of the best. They've all got the best architects, the best planners, a load of money, and the best everything. Like and none of them are, are, are twits, so they're not. Yeah. They're not paying too much for stuff and cutting their margins and getting all of their numbers wrong. So you know, you have to be good to cut it in in that world, yeah. So of course, you know, and I, you know, I probably won eighty percent of the stuff I bid on, uh, even up against the best of the best.
1: And yeah. what, why was that? What was your kind of USP? I've
0: I've just always been well. Look, one at one time, I was massively, massively driven. I still sort of am, but nowhere yeah. like I used yeah. to be. Yeah, but but I'm I'm just like super super detailed. Yeah. I literally got amongst every little fucking detail of everything. Yeah. Like you know, I obviously know construction pretty yeah. much inside out. I'm good on law. I'm good on planning. I'm I'm very detailed. Yeah. I literally I just know for a fact, right? Because what because because. It's a little bit of a closed world, you know. I yeah. know, you know, you go to do's and stuff like that. All the and some of the landowners, move, um, sorry, land buyers move around. Everyone sort of knows each other in that world to some extent. I knew what all of the other guys did, right? And they didn't do what I fucking did. Yeah. So I was, I was basically just more on it than than fucking anyone else, you know. Now, if you think now, if you you take that same approach yeah. to things that aren't on the market, that's how hell, 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 you get just, your yeah, massive yeah, margins. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly.
1: Going back to um, when you started out, in mid to late '80s, when you were doing these smaller developments, refurbs into smaller developments. Yeah. What, what were your biggest challenges then? Because obviously you were getting into the big interest rates there. Like, how were you financing things? Like, what 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 was your biggest struggle at that point? Do, when doing your own. Things? Yeah.
0: So, so I mean, obviously, the super crazy interest rates didn't really kick in until yeah. the, the early '90s, yeah. Um, and obviously. They didn't last forever. No, they they, they eventually went away. I mean, I was even then. I guess I suppose it's really interesting. Actually, then my whole focus was on building. Right, I have studied construction management. I knew about building. I was, you know, buying stuff cheap because it was a bit of a wreck, and obviously, you know, and I I guess most of my margin then probably just came out of the came out of the build. Yeah. Yeah, which is. Which is actually the hardest fucking place to get. It, yeah. Actually, you don't really don't want to be just relying on the build to yeah. get your margin out. You know.
1: So your biggest struggle then was, was what exactly? It was. It probably was as
0: always, right? Probably finding the right deals and sites that stacked. Yeah. Having said that, there there was way 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 less competition then yeah. than there is now.
1: And do you think that's probably the most notable difference to if you were trying to do those sort of deals right now? Yeah,
0: so so let let me just—I'm just trying to sort of picture it, really. So if I was trying to do, like, I mean, it's hard to forget what I now know. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, now the problem would would be definitely way, way, way more competition. Yeah, and and of course the the problem is, and this applies to top of big developments in science as well. The problem is not because because there, there's way more competition yeah, for that yeah. as well now than, than than there was in those days. Yeah, yeah, it's competition. But it's competition that doesn't know what the fuck it's doing, and 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 they basically, you know, pay you know bid too much, pay too much for stuff. A a lot of them either don't make no money or they go bust. You know, and you can't, you wouldn't want to compete with that. I mean, the only the only argue with stupid exactly. (laughs) You know, so the competition was hard then. It's way, way, way harder now. Finance obviously always it wasn't actually majorly difficult then you know as always you've got to, you've got to sort of jump through, yeah. through the hoops and all the rest of it yeah finance to some extent and, and, and competition I guess
1: we kind of mentioned that 1990 crash where the interest rates rocketed briefly and then I know obviously you, you, you stopped in 2002 and went to do your own thing so how did the 1990 crash and 2008 crash differ, and how did they affect you? So in the early 90s, I
0: was just, I was doing smaller stuff, so I probably had you weren't exposed as much. No, yet. no, I had I had a, I think I was building a few houses yeah. and uh, and probably had a couple of little refurbs on. So not not massive, yeah. right? And actually, from my recollection, because obviously it was a long time ago, I, th- I, th- I think the timing actually didn't work out too bad. I think I was probably close to the end of finishing stuff when because there was a bit. I, I, actually, I, I remember the day. I think I don't. I think interest rates went up about fucking three times in one day or something yeah. like that. I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was, but for for a short period it it just went bonkers. Yeah, I think it's when we um, left the ERM Yeah, yeah, for my recollection. Anyway, luckily enough, I I wasn't. You know, if I'd been at the beginning of a few things, yeah, it would have been it would have been would have been worse. But but I wasn't. So I didn't have too much on, and I didn't get caught out too much timing wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I guess I was a bit of a stroke of luck to some yeah, to yeah. some extent. Yeah. Two thousand eight was completely fucking different. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a nightmare. Yeah, so by that time, obviously, I'm I'm doing bigger stuff, um, and I've been doing it for quite a while. And yeah. you know, seriously bigger stuff. Yeah, so. um... In 2008, I think I had, I had five deals on the go. Four of them were funded by RBS, and one of them was was funded by Close Brothers. Yeah.
1: And that was just senior debt.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 So that so that was that yeah. was all senior. I had mezz on a couple of those yeah. with Investec. Yeah. yeah. But but, but, but yeah. it was nearly. And so the interesting thing is, so even then, right? I've I've all I've always like sort of followed the same model, right? Off market sites. Yeah. Add a load of planning value. I've never ever bought anything with planning, mm-hmm. apart from when I was working obviously working for yeah. the PLC yeah? Off market sites, add maximum planning value, so you've got a whole load of like notional equity, so yeah. you've massively increased the value before before you bought, and ideally if you've done it right, you've tied it up cheap as well. But then because you know, I've always been super, super risk averse, right? So basically this is one of the things that probably held me back actually. So like you know, I sort of grew up skin um, council house the rest of it. So, you know I was sort of told, you know, if you can't afford it, you can't have it, and the yeah. rest of it, right? So I've been a bit brainwashed with that. So my mindset is very risk averse. I don't really like borrowing. Um, all of those deals had my own equity in, right? So I have never borrowed money elsewhere like equity or whatever. Um, so so effectively, all of the equity. That I built up over the you know the previous five six seven years or whatever yeah. well well actually my whole career actually yeah, yeah, yeah. was was in all of these deals and because they were all you know quite low loan to value so at that point you know you, you could have gone around and got you know you could you could have got ninety ninety five even hundred yeah. percent particularly with the Irish banks and stuff like that in a weird way because my deals were so good and I had a load of equity in them they were the first that got the plug pulled on them because of course the bank because money, they knew
1: you could afford to pay it
0: well well, the money was already in the yeah. deals if you think about it yeah. so so they're all at various stages of being sort of built and half built or nearly complete yeah. or whatever but basically um, you know RBS obviously run out of money yeah. they couldn't afford to keep funding the deals now, even though they were good deals in the there, they needed to get money back in and the way of course they could do that was to pull pull yeah. the plug on, on, on people Yeah. now you know if I'd been Ballymore or whatever that owed couple hundred million or whatever they couldn't have afforded to pull the plug yeah. out so in a weird way you know me trying to be risk averse and not buying too much money all the rest of it actually worked against me anyway it is, it is what it is the only people who did pull the plug were close brothers so that you know that, was, that wasn't so bad but that pretty much wiped me out do you know what I mean
1: and like because I've, I've spoken to a lot of people I, I was just starting out around that time so it didn't really affect me but a lot of people I've spoken to who massively struggled and and the kind of learnings I've got from speaking to people like yourself and these other people is is just just how bad 2008 was and they've never seen anything anything like it it was bad and we've we've got like now I speak to a lot of developers who are under the impression that just because they've got a lot of equity and a lot of margin in their deals means that they're not that they're almost untouchable and I think that's That's a dangerous way to think. Very, very, yeah. very dangerous. Because, because the thing
0: is, you know that it's a bit, it's a bit of a, a little naff analogy thing or whatever. And everyone's heard it, you know that thing about banks. You know they'll give give, give you you know an umbrella when it's fine, and then take it away yeah, when it yeah, starts yeah, raining. Yeah. It's absolutely true, yeah, right? Yeah. And if anyone thinks that isn't the case, then they're bonkers, right? Because you know, luckily enough, actually, so I still do stuff with close brothers now. Yeah, so they are like old school. They didn't pull the plug. On many people, as far as I'm aware, it certainly didn't on me. Um, you know, so they are, they are a bit more of a reputable bank, if yep. there is such a thing, <laughs> right? But but, but yeah. you know what I mean. But but most of them, the, 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 the second the shit hits a the fan, they will be pulling the plug on on people just like that. Mm-hmm. And 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 even worse so now, because if you think about it, there were just like so many new lenders, right, in the in the development market. Yeah. They weren't were, weren't even around then. Yeah. They don't even know what it's no. like. And they haven't got the knowledge or the experience to know to stick with it or ride it out or whatever. And, of course, next time there's a crash, it's going to be a lot fucking bigger than that last one.
1: So what... I mean, what did you change after 2008? What did you learn from that and change in your business? Was it that maybe you didn't want to be as exposed to one bank or something like that, or...? Yeah, well,
0: look, I, d- I definitely don't bank with RBS anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you happy to get some money off close, brother. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: No, so... so... It was painful, right? Yeah. So, uh, let's say it, it nearly, it nearly, it's it, as good as wiped me out. I, yeah. I had pretty much nothing left, right? Yeah, you know, the only person that lost money was, was me. I sold stuff that I owned, uh, like to but pay, you, to pay but, off contractors so, so and subcontractors so, and consultants.
1: But do you think that that was better because it was your equity that you lost that rather than losing, say, investors' money? Would that have had longer lasting effects on you moving forward, do you reckon? Yeah, range, yeah, 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 th- absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, I think
0: so. And yeah. as I was just saying, right? Like, right so I literally, you know, I'd built up a fair few quid by that yeah. by that stage. Yeah. Right? I'd been like, doing it for, I don't know, 20 years or whatever yeah. it was. You know, so I had a load of equity in all of these deals. I had stuff that I owned, which all of which I pretty much had to sell. I didn't have to sell, but I did. Just to make sure, like, say, no subcontractor lost money, yeah. no consultant, no one lost a penny, right? I literally pay you know make sure you know people, people were alright yeah. Yeah. so obviously that's stood me in good stead mm. you know reputationally likewise I didn't have any external investors involved so no one else lo- lo- lost money it's you know I just took, took it all on the chin really yeah. so but in terms of like what did I do differently or sin- since then well I've actually I pro- probably started trading more yeah okay. yeah because um, this is the thing
1: so getting yeah. rid of that development risk
0: yeah to, to, to some extent yeah yeah, tr- traded more. Luck- luckily enough, actually, after, so after like, you know, 2000, well, 10, 11, yeah. 12, it really started sort of picking up a little bit. Luckily enough, I had a few deals still in the pipeline at other stages. So stuff that I tied up, might have been options or subject planning deals, I was working the plan and the rest of it. So, so it's like one of the times I was actually glad that the planning system can be so long and difficult because yeah. I had other stuff yeah. that came through a couple of years later, yeah. which actually did yeah. have a few quid in it. So that's to a large extent, is yeah. what helped me sort of turn it around relatively quick.
1: When you've got a scheme there now that you have obviously made some planning uplift, you've got that planning permission through, what are the right conditions for you to decide, okay, it's worth taking on the development risk and building out? Versus just
0: selling it on with the planning. Quite a lot, a lot of it is to do with time. Actually, one of the things I sort of talk, I use as a, I talk about now, now and then is because it's quite a good example. right? it's a little lock-up garage site I probably bought about three or four years ago. Or tied up three or four years ago now in Croydon. Yeah, so it was owned by another so-called developer. It had it for about ten years. Been refused planning four times. Someone introduced it to me. I had a quick look at planning history. I basically knew the answer straight away. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, so I, I, I and the guy wanted four hundred grand for it, right? And I, and I, I knew it was a deal, yeah. Sorry, so I tie, tie, tied tied up on an option. It was a ten grand option because he just wouldn't give me a one pound option yeah, out of principle, yeah. yeah? Um, but yeah, I would I would have given him a fucking hundred grand option yeah, fee yeah. if I'd had to, right? Because yeah. I knew what I knew what the upside was. Anyway, cut a long story short, got planning for it in six months for more actually than he'd been refused on the last yeah. four times. Yeah, got planning in it. Um, uh, plan on it for in, in six months, so I'm then a the point. Well, okay, you know, this is always the question. Right, do I build it or do I sell it? Yeah, yeah. so it's in Croydon. So my office is in Chiswick, right? So even that's only the other side of London. It probably takes bloody two hours each way to drive there, right? So that's you know, and you're probably going to want to stick my nose in a couple of times a week just to make sure it's all yeah. going all right. So that was one consideration, and and I also and I also knew, and so it was only what was it uh, six units, right? So it's four houses and two flats, right? Yeah. So it wasn't massive anyway, right? Um, and I, I also knew always anything with planning, right, particularly if you've designed it right and the rest of it, you'll just get crazy money for it, right? Yeah. It's one of the reasons you don't want to be buying stuff with planning, yeah? But, you know, now and then I get people saying, oh, I've got, I've got a, a site, it's off, an off-market site, it's got planning. You can't have an off-market site with planning. By virtue of the fact it's got planning, it's in the public domain, there will be people looking at it, there will be people bidding on it and all that it, right? So you're never, unless there's some other weird thing going on, highly, highly unlikely you will ever be buying the site with planning cheap, right? And I know that because I flip sites with planning all the time, right? So I know what people sell them for, yeah? Sorry, what the people buy them for. So I knew I'd get crazy money for it, right? It it was a bit of a pain in the ass for me to build because it was a couple of hours drive and it wasn't that big. And this is the thing, you know, in terms of like, you know, contracts and admin and paperwork and management and all this of it, I spend as much time on a six-unit site as I would on a fifty-unit site, yeah. where I'm going to make, you know, much more, four or five times as much money. So, so that's always a big consideration.
1: Do you look at like the annualised return? So, for example, if it's if it's uh, a scheme that might take you 18 months to build out and exit, versus um, looking at the returns for that annualised, as opposed to if you can just sell it within. Know six months.
0: I, I, yeah, I, I, I do. So as well as yeah, I guess
1: that depends on your pipeline as well. If you haven't got anything like like me, if you've got a crap pipeline, then you, I might think, well, actually, I'll build out because it takes me so long to actually find a deal worth doing. Yeah, that I might be better off actually building this one out.
0: So, so, so I look at IRRs, and obviously I consider you know the the, the, the bigger picture in terms yeah. of like you know how, how long am I going to be in it? How much Stress could I get effort, out of it? Yeah. What else could I do with my money? Do I actually do I need to flip it quick to get some money out because there's something else I can go and buy that's a really tasty deal? Do you know what I mean? So all of those considerations come in into it, but but probably one of the biggest ones actually now for me is just is like, do I do I like it? Would I be proud to build it? Because you know, do you want to
1: drive past it? Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. So you know, but so I never you know sort of build shit. But there's some stuff like a couple of things you know I've, I've got coming up. I'm going to be building shortly. You know at least two of them, I'm pretty sure, will win awards. Um, so now you know, one of, one of my sort of big things now is really just trying to teach people that there is a better way to develop yeah. properties. Clearly, look, we're in business and we want to make a load of money, yeah. and we deserve a load of money, right? Because development's a super complex business, you know, you deserve to be highly rewarded, but um, you know, there is a, a, a right way of, of doing it. So, I want to, you know, hopefully set a bit of example and, and mm. teach people that. You know, you can do it the right way yeah. without being the archetypal greedy developer, yeah. and um, you know, still make money. And you
1: mentioned there that obviously you buy and sell, and you like trading. When or why might you decide to hold on to a property, and do you ever hold on to any of property?
0: Well, so the biggest, well, God, obviously I've made so many mistakes over the years, I can't remember them all. Obviously, um, but. I saw actually to just jump back, jump back to one of your other questions. Having too many deals um, in one basket, i.e., four things funded by RBS. In yeah. hindsight, that obviously I should have spread it about a bit more. So, so clearly that was a mistake. But, um, but not keeping more is absolutely the biggest mistake, right? And, and I and I think this will be a problem. I, well, I know it's a problem. You know, I speak to mates and other developers. Everyone says, "Fuck me, I wish I'd kept more," because what t- tends to happen, probably certainly early stages when you're sort of growing you know you do a deal make a load of money and then you need equity for the next deal and then the next one and the next one and and you know you literally end up trying to take as much money out of that deal so that you can do the next bigger one yeah so in hindsight you know Jesus if I just kept one unit I, I would like I, I would have so much now and I, but, I, but, but, but I didn't so um, now of course I realise in hindsight that that is a mistake so you know my plans are, are different so you know, one of the schemes I just mentioned, I'm probably effectively gonna refinance it and hold the whole thing.
1: Yep. Are you so, allowed to tell us anything about that? Yeah, scheme? yeah, I can
0: tell you about about that. So that's literally just got planned in last week. So that's only a fairly little one. It's in it's in Surburton in southwest London, so yep. that's quite a, quite not a there, really. not a bad yeah. spot. Um that's uh ten 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 flats, park conversion, part new build, um two houses, uh, and a bit of commercial. Brilliant. Uh, and it's and it's it is in a good spot, yeah. so it'll you know it it'll, it'll rent, rent all day, well. Yeah. yeah. So the so the plan is to and keep that. And you'll keep the whole lot, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the plan.
1: Yeah. Brilliant. It makes it easier that it's all in one, one place as well. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So
0: so so that's that's the plan on that one. So so although historically I haven't kept stuff, I should have done, and I, and I'm the plan is that I will you know from now on.
1: Your business right now. What do you think? Or for developers generally right now. What do you think are some of the biggest risks? For developers at the moment.
0: It's 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 the same as always, really. It's um get getting their numbers wrong. Mm. Yeah? I mean, as you know, you you will know, you know, residual evaluations, development appraisals, whatever you want to call them, right? They are so sensitive to a little bit of change, yeah. They either get their figures wrong because they just don't know what they're doing, or they start juggling a bit, oh maybe I can get sell them for ten percent more, or oh, maybe I could build it for ten percent less. And then all of a sudden it's- you make it looks like a deal, and it's not a fucking deal. Uh, uh, but then what happens is 90% of the time right the market gets, gets people out okay. of shit. Well if you think about it right, right in, in development you've obviously got build risk and market risk really. Yeah. And, and obviously related to all of that of course is it's about your numbers getting, yeah. getting your numbers right yeah so so of course the the beauty and the angle of concentrating on off market science and adding maximum planning value. Is that you? You know, you should be starting on a really good margin to, to start with. Yeah. Yeah. So, so whatever happens with the economy, to a large extent, you should have created a buffer in the deal. Yeah. Now, conversely, if you buy stuff with planning or for top dollar, right? You, you know, there isn't too much got to go wrong before things completely we, switch. And you've it, got to and
1: make money, like you said, when you started out on the build, which is the hardest bit to do, especially when we've got build costs going up, materials e- going exact, costs e- exactly Exactly, Yeah. Yeah, Labor yeah, shortages, yeah. all that. It, so. Exactly.
0: So even even if you're a shit hot builder, yeah. right, it's hard to control build costs. And, and exactly as you say, you know, who knows, you know. Well, yeah, let's take yeah Brexit, right. It was really interesting, right. So if you if you've been around for any time, you'll just know that the market hates uncertainty, yeah. right. So so I had a couple of things that I was actually planning to build, right. The second that Brexit vote went the way it did, I, I, I for, and, and until literally. You know, after after the election a little yeah. while ago, um, when now, where now I think there's a bit of certainty or a bit more certainty yeah. back in the market. I've been flipping everything for the last two or three years because yeah. I know the market hates uncertainty, um, and you know I know what happened last time. And the last thing I wanted to do was get stuck in the middle of building stuff. Stuff, you know, yeah. if it, if it all goes tits up again. So. Um, so you wanted liquidity? Yeah, well, not so just not. It wasn't so much that. It's just. It's just. I. I just know. Well, look, it's happened to a lot of people, is not it? Yeah. It's, it's like, you, you know, there's, you included some quite big names and they're talking about Brexit and the rest of it. Well, yeah, look, absolutely, that has not helped.
1: I, th- I thought it was more, so, for from, from me, yeah. it was stamp duty was the biggest killer for, for, for what I was doing at the time.
0: Was that bigger stuff, yeah?
1: Well, it was just not bigger stuff, but it was more more higher value stuff. So I was yeah, that's what that's what I mean. So yeah. it's
0: it's obviously the stuff sort of nine seven five plus. It yeah. really hammered. Yeah, well,
1: it just killed, it, killed yeah. it, and that had a ripple down effect. So I remember we did something in Pimlico. The last unit fell through, and then we had to get that, and we ended up um, having to reduce the price, I think by about thirteen percent, just to get that last yeah. unit yeah. Yeah. sold. And from then, for about two three years, I couldn't find anything in London because. It was just things like the rental stress test didn't help because that meant the second exit of refinancing and yeah. holding was kind of just gone. Yeah. So to pay back your senior debt, you needed your senior debt to be at sort of 40%, 50% rather than 60 70 Otherwise, how are you going to pay that back? And and that just kind of killed it. And then Brexit just magnified everything. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, I've got in. No, I'm no, 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 no,
0: there. look, you're right. I mean, I guess I think the thing is, well, it's interesting. It's so like, I don't know, we, we, you know we, 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 we've got a budget coming up, yeah. right? Who knows what might what might be in that? It's, it's like everything, isn't it? These you know these changes, you know, they can create problems, and they can, but they can create opportunities yeah, as well. Okay. And it's, I guess, a lot of that knowing what might happen just sort of comes from it from from experience. A yeah. bit of what we were talking about earlier. You know, there were just like so many new newer developers and newer funders that that don't know, yeah you know, they just don't know what to expect.
1: Right. If you rely on riding that wave of the market, then at some point it's gonna. It's going to come unstuck,
0: isn't you, you, it? You look. Look, my, my, my view on on that is really look. If you, if you if you need the market to to get you out of the shit and, and make money, then you're not a developer. You're a speculator yeah. or a chancer, really.
1: What excites you about the next couple of years for UK property? For UK property? Mm.
0: Well, it's interesting, actually. Right. So, so yesterday, I was at the uh, London Residential Development Conference, right? There's a crowd called LD Events. I don't know if you've ever been to any of any of their stuff. I obviously <coughs> speak on a few of them. Um, it's all you know proper, yeah. you know, Barclay Homes, Land Securities, British Land, like literally you know the proper industry lead leading leading lead lead stuff. And they and they have a few different conferences on different things um, throughout the year. And I go to all of them because it's really really interesting stuff. And um, so there's you know there's obviously there's a whole load of emerging.
1: Fans. Alternative <laughs> tri-
0: tri- 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 type uses, um, you know. Obviously, you know, I'm talking about large scale now. So large scale build to rent because I've actually got my. Uh, that's something I particularly yep. fancy. You know, a, a proper big one. So, so I'm looking at a few of those. But you know, build to rent is a growing thing and will continue to. So that's all interesting. Obviously, you've got you know all of the stuff around co living and. You know there's lots of big question marks around that planning wise, um, but there will you know, there are opportunities around that, obviously. You know, senior living, older stuff, retirement yeah. stuff, it's all absolutely massive. Prop tech, um, obviously, I think you sort of know we might talk about it later. I don't know, I'm sort of behind land, 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 well, let's, talk about,
1: let's talk about that now. So oh, right, okay. You, do you want to tell us a bit about that? So, because of uh,
0: because there were obviously big opportunities, yeah. massive opportunities around context, you know, construction yeah. technology. Um, Which um, is just
1: making everything more efficient, isn't it?
0: Like, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Making your
1: buying more efficient, making mm-hmm. like, the opportunities more efficient.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it's really interesting. You know, hopefully, I don't know. You know, a lot, a lot of people, I would hope, would have heard of Land Insight because, yeah. right? because really, if you're a, a developer or a site finder, it is, it is like the the industry leading yeah. thing. Now there are alternatives, but you know, I'm pretty sure we're the best because I've made sure it's been designed to be the best. I yeah. know exactly what it, what it needs to do. So so that was an interesting one. So I think it was 2014 now, a couple of techie guys had an idea about creating a bit of software that they were working on in order to, to find sites, right? And initially, they, they were thinking about it for, for self-builders, for the self-build market, yeah? And anyway, so... so they started hunting around and they were obviously they were looking for a land expert and they, they were looking for funding yeah so they somehow sort of come across me and they were sort of tapping me up and we were having chats every now and then and I was sort of thinking about it yeah because because other than you know land I'd never and a few you know stocks and shares here yeah. and there I'd never really invested in anything else yeah. right so I, I knew nothing about investing in tech companies right but obviously I could, I could see the potential yeah and um to start with they said yeah we got, we want to Well, one, one, one they said we, we want it for self builders and I thought fucking hell that self builders ain't the angle so yeah. there's, there's, there's much more that can be done with that right uh, but then the other thing that was saying yeah well, we, we really want to help create an honest and open land market and initially I was thinking oh, fucking hell I don't want that to happen
1: <laughs> do you know what I mean because li- literally
0: you know this is the thing if you think about it you know, s- <laughs> the supply of land with potential is massively massively restricted yeah. by the planning system, it's hard enough to find it and buy it and do the deal on the rest of it. if
1: you have that skill set on the planning side, you get to benefit from it. Exactly.
0: My, my whole career has literally been about knowing all of the angles and every little bit of detail that someone else doesn't so I can get, yeah. get the deal done. And now all of a sudden, you know, there's a bit of potential software that I knew what it could be created to do, which, which is a lot of what I used to do the hard way i.e. hunting around, finding information really quickly and then knowing what to do with it, right? So so in in the end, I, I thought, you know what? This could be really good. And if I don't get involved, someone else probably fucking will anyway. So I did. So I was like the founding investor. Uh, another guy um, uh, uh, then came in just behind me, Simon Murdoch, who's like literally you know, renowned in the industry. He's a serial massively successful tech investor was involved in you know zoopla shazam right from the beginning loads of stuff you would have heard of i mean he's like that is his thing and uh, so you know to be honest those guys you know that you know they've done really really well but they don't you know they've got a good land guy on board that knows the market and their their industry inside out they've got an excellent tech investor on board who knows that world inside out you know so as a result that's done really 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 well and um you know, we've got massive plans for it, and it will be, you know, it's continuing to go really well. So that's so that's obviously good. So so you know, prop tech in general, there's big opportunities around that.
1: What, what about you? You kind of mentioned a bit about construction tech, so. yeah. Things like um, modular, sit panels, stuff like that. What what are your thoughts on on that and where we are now versus maybe where it can get to?
0: Really, really, really interesting as well, yeah. So that's one of the things I was actually going to come on to tell you when we were talking about this thing I was at yesterday, because a lot of it was about prop tech as well. So there's some pretty good other um, prop tech companies and speakers on there. And again, that's something I'm really interested in, right? The, The interesting thing is, it's lots of people are talking about, you know, modular and off-site and stuff like that, like it is like the solution to everything, yeah. right? And the interesting thing is, like, pe- people have been talking about that my whole career, right? It's not like it's becoming real, like everyone's talking about yeah. it now, right? Partly or largely because of the skill shortage and, and, and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, it is it isn't new. I mean, you know, people were building prefabs after the war, yep. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I was telling you when I was, you know, a site engineer, I mean, I, I remember I was working on an office development in, like, the early 80s, um, and we were using toilet pods then, do yeah. you know what I mean? So this, none of this stuff, it isn't new, yeah. um, and to a large extent, to date, it hasn't quite flipped yet, right? And it's as simple as this. People in the modular world and the rest of it talk about it as the next big thing, and it's cheaper than traditional and the rest of it, Right it's fucking not of course it's not right because if it if it is Barclay, Barrett every mainstream in the, developer in the world would be doing anything for modular and they would be buying all of the sites because they could be buying them for more money on the same margin because they can build cheaper right it's as simple as that if and when you see every developer building modular everywhere that will be the time when it's cheaper right Now. now that said it obviously is cheaper or works out overall cheaper for some things such as Some build-to-rent student accommodation, where you model it and you get that all of that income in so much quicker. But at the moment, for standard build, let's call it, it isn't yet cheaper. Mm. At some point, but it's getting cheaper all the time, and it will. And at some point, it will, it will, it will flip.
1: That's that's exactly what I found. So we, I've done something in the past involving modular stuff, which was for specialist care um, facilities, and the reason we chose it was not because it was necessarily cheaper but it's because of the detailed spec we had to do and the yeah. quality control yeah. it yeah. was actually easier to get it all done modular under one roof and then bring it to site and and do it that way but whereas if we were just building i don't know bog standard houses yeah. or flats yeah no it wouldn't it wouldn't have been sort of yeah. effective really yeah but um, what about sort of things like 3d printing and, and that sort of stuff is that is that a bit too new and not quite understood yet do you reckon
0: Yes, I guess it's on. So it's certainly not under understood by me. It's like all these things, yeah. It'll happen at some stage. I don't think the time's quite right yet. I don't understand enough of that. I think you know the whole you know offsite construction, modern methods of construction, um, precision construction. Actually, lots of people are calling it now. I'll tell you one of the problems with that is that at the moment there isn't really any standardisation. There's lots of little modular companies and all the rest of it. I've got a, one of my mates has, has got one. None of them are talking to each other. They're they're all like trying to do their little thing. A lot of it's pretty much the same. All that you know, it's all sort of coming together. And well, interesting, right? I'm I'm just off to I don't know if you know, there's a future builder Excel, yeah. right? I'm off there after this Yeah, it, you know, it's all super interesting. Things are changing all the time. The pro- a lot of the problem in that world is you get you get people coming up with ideas well very often in the whole techie world they're solving problems that aren't even fucking problems so just come up with an idea to solve something what's well, saying on that ain't a problem right really re- really and and the other thing is a lot of the people doing that stuff aren't actually in the industry and they don't really know enough about it to in all but but that's sort of changing and it's sort of sorting itself out so it's all getting there
1: all Right, I, I think it's interesting but again most of that stuff is over my head, to be honest, with, the, with all the, all the text side of stuff. So let's go on to talk about the planning process. So yeah. obviously, planning process in this country gets a lot of stick. Yeah. Do you have any policies you'd like to see brought in, maybe in the next budget, or that you think would help, or any major sort of grinds against the, the planning process at the moment?
0: Obviously, we're, we're, without a doubt. Planning is very, very difficult, right? However, certainly newer people might not believe this, it is easier than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you yeah, know, since, since the 2012 MPPF, which is, well, it's revised now, which was very pro development, right? Mm-hmm. The whole thinking around development in general and planning in general has been much more pro development, yeah? Now, it hasn't yet filtered down everywhere to local level, yeah. but at high level, you know p- planning policies are much more pro development 10 20 30 years ago i mean jesus christ you think it's hard now you, it, you ought to have seen it then on honestly so actually although it's very 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 difficult planning is actually easier than it's ever been right that doesn't mean it's easier it just means it's, e- it's easier than it's ever been yeah obviously it's complex and you've got to understand it right you 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 just have but the, the, the biggest problem really now in, in planning is, is just the under-resourcing of planning departments. Yeah. I mean, it is such an important thing. If I could change one thing, I, I would probably make you know local authority planners one of the most highest paid jobs, certainly in local authorities, and, but definitely make sure they're more higher paid or at least the same as a private sector, yeah? yeah, so that it attracts the best people.
1: That's, that's a major problem I'm finding at the moment, is the quality and understanding from a lot of, and, and a lot of it is junior people at the council and yeah, town planning yeah. level um, that, are in, that are being lumbered almost with having to deal with situations that maybe they're not experienced or qualified in exactly. because the council and departments are just so understaffed oh, and, and that filters back onto us and it, it's yeah, incredibly frustrating. <laughs>
0: it, it, it is but, j- but I j- do feel for it yeah know. no, me, me, no me, me, the me, me, me too actually yeah. do, do, do you know what like, you know, when I first started out years and years ago there was and I, and I sort of didn't understand it the way I do now it, there was you know it was like oh fucking plan they've done this they fucked me up and, well I remember what I said like 20-30 years yeah. ago it was a lot worse than it is yeah. now right? and planning in general even at a central government level Was pretty anti-development, actually. They said it wasn't, but it was, right? So we've got such a massive housing problem now, yeah. So you know there was a whole lot of like not really liking the planners now, right? For for obvious reasons, they can cost you a lot of money and cause you serious problems, yeah. Now I realise that yes, yeah, you're much better off. You know they're in a really really difficult position, yeah. You, You you imagine if if you're a you know a planner. You, you're probably, you know, overworked and underpaid. You're stuck in between local councillors who who are getting grief off local residents, developers that, of course, are trying to get planning permission. Probably, you, you know, the hierarchy in terms of who you've got to go to upstairs to get stuff signed off. So, in a really, really difficult position. So, so it's not surprising that they leave to go to the private yeah. sector. Yeah. So, the best thing we can do as developers, right, is just understand how however you know frustrating it is just like you know try to work with them appreciate their position do their job for them actually yeah. make it easy for them right this is what I do like like touchwood actually I've got a hundred percent planning track record right I've never ever not ultimately got planning right I've, I've, I've had to appeal a lot of those things. But sometimes that's been my strategy from the start. I've known yeah. that the only way I'm ever going to win this is appeal it because of what it is or where it is in the west of it, right? But um, that's because I'm super detailed, right? And I, to a large extent, do their job for them and you've got to make it harder for them to, say to, to refuse you than it is for them to approve you.
1: I totally agree with that. It's, it's, I think people get a bee in their bonnet about planners and it's a little bit maybe unfair, but the private sector takes all the talent and uh, well, not 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 Well
0: not only that I've got to tell you it's a bit like that little story I told you about earlier lock up garages in Croydon yeah. the bloke guy had, had it for 10 years he tried to get planning four times everyone had every, been every, you know everyone had been refused right the second I saw it I like, knew straight away what the, what the answer was right the, the amount of people they, just, they are literally not doing stuff right. They are asking to get refused. I can literally, I'll tell you what, I, see, I scheme. I I'll literally tell you straight away whether it's going to get refused or, or, or approved. Because people, they just don't do things properly. They don't know enough about it. And lots of people, particularly less experienced people, they just wrongly assume that their architect and or planning consultant knows all the answers so and is going to sort it all out for them. So
1: where can people go to find out that information?
0: There's a, 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 an obvious answer I don't really want to say, but, but I mean, look, you've got to learn from someone that has been there, seen yeah. it, done it, for real, over a long period of time, understands it, and is still doing it, and, and either, you know, work with them or get them to show you how to do it. Do you want to
1: give a little plug to... You've got a training business that does that as well, have well, you? Well,
0: yeah, but just to, just to put that into a bit of context, actually, because, c- you know, obviously there's a whole load of you know, property training companies yeah. out there and most of them have, have quite rightly got a bad rap, yeah. right? Because it's all get-rich-quick fucking bullshit, yeah?
1: So, yeah but so I'm talking more from a level of, if I want to understand planning and I don't have the time to go to a, do a land economics degree or yeah. a chiptown planning degree and things like that, but it's more the technical knowledge I want.
0: Right. Let, let me tell you yeah. two things. Right. So, so obviously, look, I know how to do this stuff. I've reverse engineered it. Teach people exactly what they need to know. Right. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I think you all. I think, I'm not sure if you mentioned in the intro. Right. I teach on the MSc Property Development at South Bank University. Yeah. Actually, in fact, this year I haven't. I'm not on it this year because right? I'm busy with a whole load of other stuff. But. Um, uh, I teach on the MSc, master's degree in property development at uh, at South Bank University, right? I've got people that have done that, that do my training and say, "After oh, it's like fucking hell, I've learned more in three days than I did in two years. Because it's literally Because the just, syllabus is- It's is, the it's crux weird. of yeah. absolutely every, the key stuff, exactly what you, what you really need to know, right? However, let's just park that, right? But this is something I say to everyone anyway. The best thing you can do to learn about planning, and it won't cost you a penny, is just go to planning committee meetings and read the reports, right? You'll you you know you'll start getting a feel for what's discussed. You'll read the reports. You, you, that's I mean, look, like, I still do it now. If 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 I've got a planning application uh, or I've got a scheme in a in a local well, even like, I've got Croydon again, right? I've, I've got I've got a couple of little sites in planning in Croydon. I've had success there in the past. I've sussed out the committee. i I know the policies. I think I understand them. But because I've got some other stuff that's coming towards planning committee dates. I'm going to the planning committee to suss them out and mm. just like, just like, what's hot at the moment, what do they like, what they don't like, who's refusing everything, who, who's supporting stuff. Do you know what I mean? You, you've got to understand it. So the best thing people could do, if they want to understand planning, is, is just start going to planning committees and reading planning committee reports. Brilliant. You, you're honestly, you just learn so much.
1: Because at the beginning, you mentioned like being detailed is obviously a massive strength of yours. Yeah. Something I try and do is get down to like the real granular level yeah. of everything and, and be as technical as possible. And you talked about understanding planning, understand the law, yeah. things like that, which I think is um, is, is just so. The key. the, the,
0: the problem the problem is with is a lot of planning stuff. You know, there are there are most planning books, and I would say look, I totally go and read them as yeah. as well, right. But they tend to be sort of fairly dry. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That's it, it is more law and policy and the history yeah. of it and all rest of it. I'm not really aware of a planning book that sort of tells you exactly how it all really works. You should um, write one. I am writing one. Hey. I've, I've, I've been writing it for about seven bloody years now <laughs> and, and it's 90% finished. It's not just planning, it's basically you know, land yeah. planning and development. So That's it's funny. nearly finished and I am... Well, funny enough, actually, you know, it's... it's Mipin next week, yeah. although well, it's, it's not because it's canceled. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I've already booked and paid for flights and an expensive hotel, so I'm actually just gonna go anyway yeah. and finish my yeah. book, so. Oh, good idea, yeah,
1: yeah. Let's have a quick chat about Section 106 and affordable yeah. housing. So these are often major hurdles for developers on certain schemes. Yeah. What do you feel about these, and how do they impact lower value sites compared to maybe higher value sites? So for example, if we've got something in well, I'll use an example. I've got something in Lambeth at the moment yeah. where there's, uh, they're asking for 106 contributions on a scheme of, I think, six, versus maybe you could do something, I don't know, in Sheffield of 100 yeah. units. Yeah. How, how do you think, what are the, some of the your concerns about about those and how do you try and get over it?
0: Obviously, se- section 106, let's lump seal, talk about yeah. that at the same yeah. time, because obviously that's a, another, another a big, big <laughs> yeah. cost, land tax, basically, yeah. So, you know, you've got, you've got, well, remember SEAL was effectively meant to replace Section 106 yeah. and it didn't. So now we've got SEAL and Section 106. Well, and lucky
1: we're not paying uplift as well, which Sajid Javid wanted to bring in on top of that.
0: Well, I'll tell you what would be really interesting, actually, cause to see what comes out in, in, yeah. in the budget, actually, because, well, who knows, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you, see you, right? Because, anyway, planning policy should be put in place to reflect land economics and and market conditions, right? Problem is, market conditions change.
1: Well, well, let's take- take They're chasing their tail, aren't they? Because the market changes and then they try to catch up with it and then by the time that's implemented, the market's changed again.
0: So for example, there's some stuff in the MPPF2, right? So that's the the second version about setting affordable housing quotas and stuff like that, yeah? And and basically what it says is it's words to the effect the, you know local authorities obviously had to go through their whole development plan consultation process etc 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 they set their affordable housing requirement consideration um, you know land values and economic scenario blah 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 and, and then they set they, they set their affordable housing requirement so let's just say 30% or whatever yeah. and then once they, that once that's it it's set it's fixed you can't argue it the rest of it so there's not even any viability argument on it right development plan says 30% it's 30% right but of course, I mean, and that's madness, honestly. This is going to just cause so much, so much grief. Because even if the local authority had been able to go around and assess every single site properly to work out, okay, what they're doing or should be doing when they're setting these trigger levels, right, the amount uh, at yeah. w- which affordable kicks in, is, is working out, okay, well, look. In order to, for a landowner to be incentivised to sell, they they need to be um, getting over and above existing use value. Yeah, yeah. So so if you if you if you've got a house with a big garden and it's worth a million quid it is as it is, and I come along and say, right, oh, what well, do you sell me your house for a million quid? No, not really. I'm not thinking of selling it. Selling it. Oh, yeah. if, if and when I am, I'll just stick it on the market and get a million quid for it. Right. Now, so I need to be coming along and saying, well, look, here it was. I know your house is worth a million quid, but I think I can create some planning value, and then I could pay you 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, who, who knows whatever. So obviously that's dependent on how much value I can add and negotiation. But the point is, in, in order to be incentivised to sell, landowners need a premium. Uh, but at the same time, of course, there's a massive housing, you know, significant housing need, particularly for people who can't afford stuff, yep. people in most need proper social housing, yeah? So the then question is, well, okay, how much affordable housing policy wise do we ask for that isn't too much and, and therefore going to make things unviable because this is the whole thing right yeah. you know you ask for too much you, just, you get 100% or nothing yeah. that's one of the things Ken Livingston did through one of the biggest building booms ever he had, a, he had a 50% affordable housing requirement which was complete bullshit and it was like well it's 50% or nothing and it was look if I provide you 15% I'm below existing use value no one's ever going to do a deal no one's yeah. going to sell but I might be able to get 45% to work no 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 50% or nothing so throughout one of the Absolutely biggest good. booms anyway they got a whole load of nothing which was, you know, it's diabolical yeah. on, on all counts the, the the point is clearly there's a need for affordable housing, right? so there must be affordable housing yeah. requirements and we should try to provide it where we can but it all comes back to the, to, to the land economy and therefore what you do like most, most of the time you're basically just running a viability assessment really mm-hmm. that's what you have to do is just to, 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 to you know, make your case and say look I can't provide X, but I can provide Y.
1: So you touched on like the housing crisis yeah. as well. What are your thoughts on that? Because people are sort of bringing it back to we haven't got enough houses, but then I think um, I've read something the other day where we've got 400, over 450,000 um, empty residential houses that yeah. might not be up to standard, but yeah. they're standing alone. Certainly not in sort of city centres, but in yeah. some more rural areas, yeah. and then I think it's even more of that empty commercial yeah. units as well. So, yeah. like, what's your take on the whole housing crisis and all? Well,
0: look, there's lots that can be can be done, obviously, and there is lots that people are trying to do, including you know, improving, speeding up the planning system. I'd say that the best thing there would be literally just more, more good planners, right? That would make a massive, massive difference, right? There's all sorts of other stuff. you absolutely. Look, particularly sustainability like climate change and yeah. all of it. Like, you know, there's a whole ton of housing stock all over the country sitting there empty or derelict or whatever that, that could provide good new housing, right? So getting rid of that on that needs to happen straight away yeah. that would be you know make a whole load of stuff viable which isn't currently viable so that's that would make a really big difference and who knows whether it might ha- happen but let's hope it does improving the planning system getting rid of that on refurbs and conversions PD is not the answer in my opinion right now I appreciate that there's lots of sort of people newer people that have got, got involved in development yeah. through PD and stuff like that but you know does not generally create good environments Doesn't, for people to yeah. live in I don't know about you you know I don't want my kids having to fucking play in the car park yeah. on a converted office scheme. it's like it's not ideal There's there's got to be a better way really um,
1: there's not enough quality control on things like size and, and that stuff I think yeah. I kind of think that the government's been focused on using like the stick rather than the carrot to motivate people to get quality property in certain locations yeah. and it's things like by motivating people to buy disused stock. So some councils are now doing grants where if you buy an empty property and do it up, they'll give you a grant to do some of the refurb as long as you then rent it back to the council for five years or something like that. So some councils, especially up in North, I do a bit in Manchester and, yeah. and Leeds, and some councils up there are doing things like that, which I think is, is brilliant. Yeah. But you need to get more of that, especially in those areas where there's not enough happening. In well, Europe.
0: not well. Not only that, because that's an important thing, actually. You know, obviously, in lower value parts yeah. of the country, new build doesn't stack.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I remember when we went up to Manchester because we couldn't find stuff in London went up to look at doing new builds up there, and it was like, oh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> We're going to exactly. have to do conversions. Exactly. Um, and it was yeah, it was it was it was tough.
0: It's getting better. I mean, look, let's like like you know, I, I probably couldn't finish your. Without mentioning Green Belt, for yeah, example, yeah. right? So that's so that's that's a massive. Um, well, I'll tell, I'll tell you a little story, right? So so one of the things um, I'm going to be building, I've literally just about a month ago now won on the pill a site for three big houses in the in the Green Belt um, in in Chalfont St Giles, right? So it's a nice oh, sure. you know commute about quite a high value area. The site was an old and, this, and there's a lot of sites like this, right? So this is worth making the making the point because. The general public certainly don't get this, right? The site was an old chicken farm. Yeah, the guy had been running it as, as a chicken farm for years and years and years. Then, of course, it, it starts becoming well. The so, salmonella so, so, so scare really, like, pretty much wiped out the business. But you know, industrial factory farming, Tesco's, all of it, you couldn't afford to be. What well, this wasn't viable to be a little chicken farmer, right? Yeah. Nevertheless, he's so got this got this site. It's designated as green belt, right? And it's also an area of outstanding natural beauty. And it's covered in old sheds and buildings. It's literally covered in in stuff, right? Now, because the guy needs to earn an income from it, but but chicken farming doesn't work anymore, he started renting some of the buildings out to people that you know spraying cars and storing stuff, and doing stuff that they shouldn't really be doing in a green belt, right? But of course, the guy's just got to get some income out of it. So he has loads of planning battles, there's enforcement, action, eventually everyone gets booted out. So he have been literally struggling for years to get some income out, out of this site. He's then gone away and tried to get planning about five times, all of which has been re- refused because it's super tricky and the rest of it. site got introduced to me um, probably about six years ago now, right? So I met someone, they told me the story, uh, and they said, you know, the guy's been trying to get planning for years. Would, would you be interested in having a look? I said, yeah, yeah, look, I'll, have, I'll have a look. So I had a look, right? Uh, and I thought yeah this has definitely got potential but it ain't, ain't going to be easy anyway cut a very 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 long story short I literally won it at a pill about a month ago after, after six years I guarantee you I'm not sure if I mentioned it, all, it was earlier or earlier or whatever I'm going to be building that thing it will win awards it is, is this
1: like a grand designs type build I wouldn't or... quite call
0: it, call it that it's, it's very different so there's three big houses yeah. that are designed to sort of Fit in with a the landscape, yeah. they look a little bit like industrial farm buildings. It's it's good. It's yeah. it's really good, right? I'm guaranteed, like it, it, it is, a, it's a thousand times better than what was there. And it's been a six-year battle to get it, right? And if and if you anyone with a bit of common sense, and you said, look, you can have this or this, like you know, no one would say this, but you know, say, well, I'll let's leave it as it as it was, right? And because it, it just wasn't viable to yeah. do anything else with it. And there's a lot of and remember that's not just Green Belt. It was designated as an area of outstanding natural beauty as well, right? And there's a lot of Green Belt like that. You know, Green Belt, which means it's, it's shaded green on the proposals map. Yeah, some of it it's it's got buildings on. It's on the edge of town. It's in very well located places. It's, it, it could be highly contaminated, but nevertheless, it's got a Green Belt designation there. Yeah? And I think this is one of the problems is it, like general public understanding. Yeah. Because when people talking about, about g- releasing the green belt, right, they assume that means like, you know, deforestating comp- ex- exactly, the UK Exactly, exactly, yeah. and building over the countryside. And like, no reputable developer or anyone in their right mind would want to do that. Right. But, but there's a whole lot of green belt that could be developed that's basically horrible shit that actually needs t- t- tightening up.
1: So I suppose everything goes back to trying to have a pragmatic approach to everything, which is obviously from a government level quite. Quite tricky to, I guess, quite tricky to do,
0: isn't it? It is tricky, and and if you think about it, and this and this is one, the probably the the, the biggest problem for years in in planning is that's obviously quite lost. It's just politics, yeah. That the fact of the matter is, whilst everyone for years and years and years has known we need more housing, all that albeit now it's got such, to, you know, it's becoming more and more obvious all the time. It's like it's literally probably saying on the, about housing in the papers or on the news every other day, yeah. It's a major, major problem and you'd have to be living in a cave for the last 20 years not to know that, right? But it's been a major problem for, for a lot of years. It's only because it's getting to the point whereby it is c- causing the economy serious problems that government like starting to take it a lot more seriously. So, you know, that that 2012 MPPF was, really came about after the credit crunch to help get the economy kick-started mm-hmm. again and, and regenerated, right? That, that's really the thing that sort of instigated that. But before that, literally, planners, um, you know, successive, governments, successive governments and planning policy had literally been just moving the, about the deck chairs of the Titanic's. Titanic. It was tinkering, right? Yeah. Um, but it was never really going to make any major change. And the reason for that is because there's never really been any, been any votes in making ma- yeah. major planning changes. Because although everyone now appreciates that there's a massive need for housing... They still don't want it anywhere near where they live. But things are sort of changing slightly, but uh, a lot of it's to do with politics.
1: Well, that's been been absolutely fascinating. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about or think the listeners would, would like to hear from you in regards to anything to do with development, housing, politics, planning, law... Well, so sort of probably one final
0: thing that I think is important, right? So I think it, I think it was like 20, 2013, right? I was sort of like semi-retired. I moved to Spain. I was living, living in Spain. Had a few little things on the go here and I was sort of backwards and forwards a bit. But most of the time I was, I was in Spain. And, and actually, I sort of nearly gave it all up in terms of development, yeah? Because by that time, I'd been doing it a long, long time. Yeah. And no matter however much money you can make out of something, however good you get at it, stuff starts getting a bit stale yeah. Boy, it just didn't float my my, yeah. my boat the way it used to yeah but every now and then like 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 not people would like ring me up and they, they've got a big development deal going on a bit of a problem right and I, and I was like I was bored to be honest I said well look fly over I'll sort it out for you yeah. we'll have a chat right and and so lots and lots of people used to come over to my house and I'd sort their deals out for them and have a chat and then I eventually realised do you know what I'm, I'm, I'm having the same conversation with nearly fucking everyone about yeah. don't do that do this what to do and the rest of it so that, anyway so that's um well I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll I'll start see it running a bit of training. So someone asked me to speak at event, uh, at one of these property events. I'd never ever spoken before. Went there, everyone loved it. And anyway, cut long story short. I brought a load of people over to Spain and I run a, a course about land planning and development. And it went went and it went really well. And I've sort of started been doing a bit of that ever, ever since, which I which I sort of quite enjoy yeah, really. Yeah. Obviously, it makes a few quid, which is yeah. which is handy but within the scheme of things yeah. you know it doesn't make anything like I make doing deals and my development stuff right but I, but I do quite enjoy it but and but the point about that but but what what I really want to do because what really floats my my boat now is to change the perception of property development and property developers right because cause, cause that's again that's one of the real big problems in, in development in general right the general public probably quite rightly assumes that the majority of developments uh, sorry, developers are, are are greedy arseholes that don't care about anything other than money, right? Yeah. And there are a lot like that. So I'm trying to teach people: look, there is a better way where, where you know you can you know work with the planners, work with local communities, create good stuff that people can be will be happy with, and you can be proud of. Mm. And 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 when you're really good at it, you can do that and actually beat the arsehole developers as well so the sooner like everyone gets that and starts working together and realises like fucking hell developers aren't all arseholes there are some good ones there is a better way, a better way of doing things let's all start working together you know the, the, the sooner yeah. the housing problem will start getting solved you know
1: yeah no I, I definitely agree with that um, one last question I've got which I ask everyone is what's the kindest thing anyone's ever done for you in business in
0: business yeah me. Kindest in business blimey let me have a think there must, there obviously there must be yeah. something but um, a lot of people tend not to be very kind in the, in the land yeah. market I tell you it's <laughs> like I, I can tell you I can tell <laughs> you on, I, I, can, I, I, can, I, can, I can tell you plenty of terrible things I mean Jesus Christ particularly in that like you know multi-million pound yeah. you know you can imagine it if, if you're one of those mainstream developers right and you're, you're trying to do a hundred million quid site purchase fucking hell there's all sorts of crazy stuff that goes on right so I could, I could tell you plenty of classics. Well, look, I've had some like really really good teachers. Like you know, my, my old MD at, at Barretts, um, Clive Fenton was just retired recently. Actually, he ended up was chief executive from McC- McCarthy and Stone. My first sort of land director when I was a junior land buyer, Bob Monroe, fucking brilliant. Learned so much from him. So that's you know you know I've met and learned and known a lot of good people. I'm struggling to think a kind. Kind.
1: Well, I guess it's giving you that opportunity, wasn't it, and, and, and giving you the, their time to kind of give you advice. Yeah, I mean, so, so
0: you know, obviously I was working for it as as, yeah. as, as as well, but those sort of people did become mates and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, kind, isn't it strange why I, I'm struggling to think of kind? I don't know if it's just the industry. Because it's not
1: really associated. That's, that's why we asked the question, yeah. Yeah, to get people thinking maybe and cliches like pay it forward and all that sort of stuff. But it's just to get, I think, more to get people thinking about it. Doesn't always have to be about the bottom line and screwing people over to get things done. And you can you can people remember kind things or well they or, do. Well, look, on, yeah,
0: let's let's finish up on on a, on, a sli- on a slightly weird one, right? Because oh. because around the same time when I was like you know semi retired. 2013 i think it was you know development where well, yeah, it wasn't really floating my boat the way i'd sort of lost my mojo a bit around it i went on a bit of a course actually because the other thing two things i've been always been massively into right is is, is property development and personal development right like you know the, the stuff i've courses i've been on stuff i've trained books i've read all sorts of stuff around personal development right my whole since i was a kid actually so i'm really really you know i've done a whole load of, uh, around that stuff and uh so I went, I went on a bit of training back in 2013-ish now, 12 it must have been. About um, it was like discover your life's purpose, right? Because like I don't fuck me, I don't really know what I want to be doing anymore. Yeah. Like I've made a few quid, I've got quite good at <laughs> doing what I do, but it's just not floating my boat. So I went on this course, and you and you, and you go through a whole load of exercises and blah blah blah. And at the end of it, you come up with a little thing. And my thing was like like you know helping kids and young people, particularly yeah. ones from disadvantaged backgrounds, sort their lives out, right? And, uh, and it's really weird to go through this whole process. And at the end of it, I thought, I thought you know what, I fucking knew that. And, uh, but I could do a whole load of stuff to get it to me. One of my sort of like really big plans that, that, I'm, that uh, you know, I haven't actually really got, got around to start implementing, but I'm sort of doing a bit of work towards it, is that is actually to do with building um, youth centres and, and community hubs and things like that for, mm-hmm. um, for people. Because, uh, again, look, they, people need it it's a good thing to do, I know how to do it, I can do it. And at the end of the day, it makes you feel good because yeah. I've come to realize, it's a bit of right?
1: satisfaction, isn't
0: it? Exactly, you know, I actually got into property development to start with because I you know I, I, I was skinned, as I said earlier, I grew up in the council house, didn't have any money, thought that, that money was the root to happiness. So I was constantly thinking, well, okay, well, how can I make some money, how can I make some money? Developers turn up in their flashcards, well, fuck me, that's obviously it, right? They, they've got a load of money, right? So that's the reason I got into development to start with, to be honest. But but what happened is I actually did eventually make a load of money and didn't get any fucking happier. And and then of course I realised, well actually well well what is it? And I eventually I came to realise it's actually it sounds a bit fucking that, but it's true. Helping other people is the thing that makes you the happiest, you know? Mm.
1: Well, thank you very much. I've I've had a great time and, and learnt a lot about you. We haven't really had long chats like this, more more being quick ones over a pint, but, but yeah. We'll have to have another one of those soon. But, yeah, thanks very much for coming on. And right, uh, if people want to get in touch with you about the stuff you teach, where can they find information about
0: e- Email info at millbanklandacademy.co.uk yep. um, and we'll, you know, can have a chat with someone. So.
1: Brilliant. Thanks very much. All right, mate. Good stuff. Cheers. Please join me next time for more detailed discussions about property on The Rodcast.